It is way good to be here with you guys this morning. Um, as was said, my name is Christian. I grew up at this church. I uh, started going here at a young time, got married here. Um, I have two beautiful kids, an 11-year-old who is right next door in the junior high group, uh, and my son is in fifth grade, and um, many, many good memories at this church, I have to say, growing up here, and in the high school youth group when it was over there, and when it was down the street, and then it was back over here, it, the high school youth group has moved around a lot. It's fun. What schools are represented here? How many go to Rancho? Anybody at all? One? Dang. How many Vista High? Where do you guys go to school? Where? Bonzel. How many of you guys were born in 2001? Dang, I'm old, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. How many seniors in here? A couple seniors? Um, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you guys? What's the age range? 14, 15, 17. Okay. Two. Sweet. I'm not like mental age. I mean physical age. Um, so sweet. So 14, 13. To give you an idea, I got married like when you were like six months old, if you're, if you're 14 years old right now. So... Um, that's, that's really cool. I actually dropped my daughter off for junior high youth event. Um, I, I don't know. It was like two months ago. And I realized I am my parents. I remember dropping my, I remember my parents dropping me off for high school and junior high youth groups. And, um, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, sorry. I just had to reminisce there for a minute. You guys have been going through the book of John. Thank you for humoring me, by the way. That was very nice of you guys. You're in the book of John, and um, I have the privilege of teaching John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. So if you have a Bible, open it up. If you've got a smartphone, flip to it, and um, you can open up to that section. I'm actually teaching a passage that is a half a chapter ahead of where you guys are. Um, Aaron informed me that there was a bit of a snafu, and you guys weren't here one week. Um, and so Aaron next week will be teaching... Um, Jesus' examination where he's questioned by Pilate. There's some great, great sections that happen in there, great passages. My kingdom is not of this world, just classicness that I'm sure he's going to get into. And really, you don't see as much the examination of Jesus as you do the examination of Pilate by Jesus, which is a really unique thing that we're going to kind of get to see the culmination of here this morning. So hopefully you're in John chapter 19. If you are physically able, I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we read this portion of God's word together. Starting in verse 1, we just read it, but I'm going to read it again because that's just what I want to do. Let's read. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put him in a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to him, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And Jesus answered him, 
We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat to a place that is called the pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Jesus, thank you so much that we get to come before you this morning and meet with you. God, that's our heart, that this wouldn't be an intellectual time, although we want to learn, but it would be a time where we get to sit down with our King, with the crucified Savior, and we get to meet with Him. God, I ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So there's no outline. You just get this cool graphic because I never got it to Aaron um, because I was a last-minute Eddie and didn't get it done until last minute, but that's okay. How many of you guys are last-minute Eddies? You know what that means, right? Like you, you wait for the last minute to do everything? Yeah? How many of you guys are even paying attention right now? This section's not cool. Um, how many of you guys are paying attention in school? Here's a question. How many seniors are paying attention to school? Just to be honest, I think I served more of my senior year than I went to school. It was a really good year for me. Um, <laughs> if you're taking notes, um, we got four sections we're going to go over this morning. Four things we're talking about. One is the brutal examination of Jesus. Second, the man. Third, the plan. And finally, Pilate's denial. Different aspects of what we see here in this passage. First, the brutal examination. There it was somewhat portrayed in shadows of a man whipping Jesus. How many of you guys saw The Passion of the Christ? Anybody? It was, I think, made before you were born. Um, a few of you guys. If you guys have seen that movie, I actually encourage it. It's pretty good. It's R-rated, so you got to, like, check with your parents. I'm pretty sure you're that age group where you still got to check with your parents for those things. Um, but it's a really good depiction of what happened, yet it still doesn't extend to how far and how gruesome the beating and the crucifixion of Christ was. They weren't allowed to put on to a movie screen, even with an R rating, what Jesus truly went through. And here we see in a brief passage here at the beginning, then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put him in a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. We read over that in our, in our frame of mind, which is just like, okay, they, they whipped him, no big deal. 
you think of a Western movie and a guy with a cattle whip, but that's not it. They would whip him, and I'm sure you guys have heard, I'm sure you've been over, but they scourged him with what was called a flagellum, a cat of nine tails. It wasn't this long cattle whip that you would think of. It was much shorter. The, the strands were probably only about two, maybe three feet in length. The ends of them had tied into the knots shards of bone and glass and metal. And the idea is that they wouldn't just cause stripes on somebody's back to bring correction. The idea is that they would actually rip into the flesh. And then as that whipper would pull off those nine lashes, those nine strands, it would pull flesh, it would pull the entire skin off the back. Jesus would have received 40 of those lashes. It was actually a way that the Romans would solve unsolved crimes, if you can imagine that. Somebody who was condemned to death, somebody who was to be examined, they would say, hey, confess this sin. We know you did it. We know you committed this murder. And they would, they would whip him. And if he confessed, well, they would go ahead and solve a crime. And then they would hit him a little bit less hard the next time. You see, after Jesus would have been whipped with these 40 lashes, his entire upper torso, not just his back, as was portrayed in the video clip you guys just saw, his entire upper torso would no longer have skin on it, if you can imagine that. It would just be exposed muscle and blood all the way down his legs. He would have had organs beginning to be exposed because of the amount of muscle ripped off of his abdomen. This was a grotesque beating. Now, you might be grossed out this morning, and that's okay, because it's a gross thing. But you know what I find incredible? Is that when I envision Jesus being scourged and beaten, when I envision his back being bare and his insides being exposed, and this process of death beginning even prior to the cross, because nobody can survive a scourging of 40 lashes. Literally, you're going to die no matter what. What I find amazing is that that's what my sin looks like. Oftentimes we think of sin as, you know, not that big a deal. You know, whether it's a small lie or a small half-truth. I was just, I was a little, a little fib. It was a, a little cheating on a test. It, it was a, a small infraction of anger. And we think it's not a big deal. We think, oh, it's, that's not a problem. But really, the penalty and the cost of sin, whether it is a small thing in our mind or a large thing, it's the same. It required the death of Jesus upon the cross. It required that beating. As I think about what happens when, when I have an attitude with my wife or my kids or when I'm frustrated at them and I, I lash out in anger, that's what my sin looks like. The bloody, bare, dripping Jesus. Brutally examined. That to me is pretty intense. That to me is pretty scary because sin is a weighty matter. And oftentimes I think we as humans, as Christians, we take it so lightly. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's not that big of an issue. But when we look at what it costs Jesus and what our sin really looks like to him, it should affect us. It should be more than just something we know and understand because if you've grown up in the church, you can get numb to it. I grew up in the church. I got saved from a very young age. In fact, hey, I was born a Christian, one of the very few. You're supposed to laugh. 
You can laugh. Thank you. My name is Christian, just so you know, so that's why. Uh, see, everyone laughing right now wasn't paying attention before. That's funny to me anyways. My name is Christian, so I was born a Christian. Haha, <laughs> very funny. But I got saved at a really young age. I'm talking three years old, I received the Lord. I've walked with the Lord my entire life. And so I can take these truths for granted. I can be like, oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Cool. Oh, yeah, he got whipped. Yeah, no big deal. That's how I can treat it. But it's not right. And it's so easy for me to fall into that mentality, yet I need to be one who looks at what happened to Jesus. See, they didn't stop at the whipping, as we saw in the video. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put this, these two-inch gnarly thorns that would have driven into his skull and would have been just really, really, really painful. That's what Jesus went through. And what I find amazing is that, and I believe it's, it's Hebrews, it could be Romans, one of those passages in chapter 12, it says that Jesus endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. What was the joy that Jesus saw before him? It was you and I. It was us. He endured that beating. He endured that pain for you and for me. That's pretty amazing. And what was the purpose that he did that for? Well, that's what we get into when we see the man revealed. What does Pilate say when he brings out Jesus? Picking up in verse 5, he says this. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. Behold the man. Now, literally, that, trans that can be translated, now here is a man. Pilate's like, dude, this guy just went through hell, literally. Well, he would actually deal with that in a little bit later when he actually dies. But he went through the closest thing on earth to hell. He's like, this is a guy. This is a man. This is somebody who held up to so much more than anyone ever has in our court before. But I love that he uses that phrase man because it's more than just that. You guys know, you probably know what I'm going to say, but it's okay. Because it's so important for us to understand the purpose of what Jesus came for. He didn't come to show us how to live a good life, although that's important. He didn't come to do miracles, although that's pretty awesome. He came to die in our place. You see, there's another place that it deals with the man. In Romans chapter 5, we see two men contrasted. The first man being that of a man by the name of Adam, the very first man in existence. It was there that Adam allowed sin to enter the earth. You guys know the story there in the Garden of Eden. There when Adam partook of the fruit there with his wife Eve. And sin, for the first time, tainted God's creation. Sin entered through Adam, through man, the first man, the most quintessential man, if you can imagine. I mean, he'd be a perfect specimen of manhood. And he failed. I've got to say, that somewhat encourages me. Why? Because I am far from perfect. And if the perfect man that God created sinned, then when I blow it, it's like, all right, well, I know I'm not perfect, so that encourages me. Anyways, total randomness there. Anyways, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and 
and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We see here that through this one man, through Adam, death enters the world. Now, did Adam physically die right when he ate of the fruit? Anybody? No, that's right. I expected more of you guys to answer at that. That was a very easy question, okay? No, he didn't die right then. But spiritually, he did. It says there in, the, in Genesis that his eyes were opened and he knew that he was naked. He was ashamed. He's like, oh, oh man, I don't have clothes on. This is a problem. Sin entered the arena. Sin entered the world. And from Adam all the way to Jesus, death reigned. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. We, as a human race, were spiritually dead. Though God loves us, though God created us, we were spiritually dead. It is part of our DNA nature to be those that sin. I mean, we can't help ourselves but sin. It's like, if I... Never mind, I'm not going to go there. We can't help ourselves but sin. It just happens. It's who we are. It's who we're born with. I didn't have to teach my kids how to say no. They came by it very naturally. In fact, both my kids came out screaming. So right there. They're like, I don't want to be out of my warm environment. And they just cried. It's, it's, it's normal. They didn't stop crying, actually, for five months. That was tough. Um, but we come out sinners. It's who we are inside of us. And so Jesus had to come, the one perfect man, notice also, not born of a man, born of a virgin, that was very key, so that sin was not imputed to him, but Jesus had to come to take our place. You see, it was the second man, Jesus, as it says there in Romans 5, 18 and 19, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will become righteous. The first man, Adam, the quintessential man, the perfect human, the one who God created in a perfect place, blew it. And so Jesus had to come to an imperfect world, full of sin, full of pain, full of heartache, to be tempted just as you and I are, as the Bible says, yet without sin, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to die for you and for me. That's what he came to do. That's what the man, Jesus, came for. That's what we look at when we look at Jesus. We don't look at just a good guy. We look at a guy who loved us more than anyone else. As Romans 5 does tell us that scarcely for a righteous man would someone die. Yet even maybe, maybe for a good man. Yet God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the man that we look at. That is the man that we see. So when Pilate says, behold the man to these people, it wasn't just a statement of, dude, here's one tough dude. But really for you and I, it's a declaration of, here's the second man, the one who would conquer death for us. But I wonder how many times, how many times do we spend time looking at Jesus? 
quite honestly. I mean, with, with how many distractions there are in this world, how often do we spend time just thinking about the Lord? If you're, I mean, are, any, are there any coffee drinkers in here? Anybody? That's cool. That's awesome. I am an avid coffee drinker. I have one to two pots of coffee every morning. Without it, I really don't function. I'm pretty sure if they had an IV version of coffee, that would be me. I would have it. I would just walk around with my little IV bag, and I'd be having coffee all the time. Um, where was I going with that? Do <laughs> you guys ever forget where you're going? Oh, yes. Dang, man, I totally forgot what I was saying. Huh. Yeah, it was before that. It was, it was going someplace. Yeah. Dude, I totally lost my place. Oh, well. Must not be the Lord. That's okay. So, we have to spend time looking at him. That's where I was. Okay. We've got to spend time looking at Jesus. I have coffee in the morning, but I have it with my time in the Word. With my time, spending time looking at the Lord, saying, God, I need to look at you this morning because without you, I'm, I'm toast, man. But you know what I find? When I'm done with my devotions and I set my Bible down and I begin to pick up my day's plan, okay, what am I doing today? What, what's going on? What I do from day to day is I build stuff. I'm a construction worker. I get to get messy. I get dirty. I tear things down and rebuild them. I take my ideas and put them to paper and then put them in someone's house. It's really fun. I enjoy it very much. But I can get to my evening and realize that I didn't think about the Lord at all. At all. I didn't spend any time thinking about Jesus. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. I should relate to that every single day. I think, man, Jesus, he worked with hammers. He built things. That's cool. I'm like Jesus. But I don't at all. I don't think about him so many days where I just get to the evening. I'm talking with my wife, and I'm just like, man, I didn't, I didn't think about the Lord at all today. To me, that's sad. But you know what? I think that's all too common for a lot of people in the church. I mean, if you were honest with yourself, I mean, really honest with yourself right now, how many days go by where you don't even think about the Lord? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to tell me out loud. I think you'd be all too scared to anyways. It's okay. I think it happens a lot. I think it happens a lot where we get so busy with life, with school, with friends, with this guy I like, with this girl I like, with this next wave that I'm going to catch, because that's where I was in high school, but we get distracted. And we don't spend time beholding the Lord, to look at him, to see who he is, to see what he's done for us. Do we always have to envision him as the bloody Christ? Well, no. Should we at times? Yeah. But do we spend time looking at him? Do we spend time thinking about him? Or are we far too distracted? I see many of you guys on your cell phones. I'm assuming you're reading the passage in John. I'm assuming. I'm going to just go with that. Otherwise, I might get personally offended. But <clears throat> how easy is it to grab your phone and read the news or check out Facebook or do anything you want to do from this little device right here. It's so funny. I'll take my wife on a date. 
<clears throat> and, you know, we'll go out for coffee. We'll go sit on the beach. That's usually what we do on our dates. <clears throat> but it's so funny. Anytime I see somebody younger than me, okay, and this is by far like a, a technology age, I see other couples that are on dates, and I see them both on electronic devices. You guys relate to that? How many of you guys have a boyfriend or girlfriend? A couple of you? Okay, that's cool. I saw googly eyes over there. That was cute. That was cute. Um, so when you go out with this person you like, don't take your phone, or at least keep it in your pocket. Okay? That's right. You can clap to that. <laughs> because this is a distraction. Okay? Now, if you really like the girl, I mean, you're going to, like, pay attention to her, right? Here's a little story. My wife, before she was my wife, when I was serving as the high school youth, uh, assistant youth guy under Jason, um, I found out she worked at Starbucks. It's an amazing job. It's an amazing place. Prior to that, I didn't like coffee. I found out she worked at Starbucks. I immediately had an addiction to coffee. Immediately. I went to Starbucks every single morning when it opened, and Starbucks opens really, really early, for those of you that don't know, and I got a cup of coffee and a bagel. I kept getting that cup of coffee and a bagel until I ran out of money, um, but she married me, so it worked, <clears throat> but I had a lot of coffee. I pursued this girl because I really liked her. She's really cute. And so I paid attention to her. I tried to figure out what she liked and what she didn't like. When I was able to hang out with her, my eyes were on her. They weren't on somebody else. They weren't someplace else. They weren't with other things. I wasn't thinking about what I had to do at work. I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm going to go surfing later. No, my attention was on this girl that I liked. In fact, even when I wasn't around her, my attention was still on her. We'd be at youth group functions because she was a counselor, and I was serving, and I would hear her conversation from across the room and completely ignore the bros I was talking to. Sorry about that, Aaron. Because I'm focused on somebody else. Because this girl that I like, eventually that I dated, eventually that I was engaged to, she was where my focus was. And that's cool. That's cute. It's great, all right? Girls are like, yeah, I want a man like that. Guys are like, I just want a girl, man. But why do I say that? Well, because my attention was on her. Because I liked her. Well, I loved her. But how many times do we say, oh, Lord, I love you on Sundays? See you next Sunday, Lord. We don't think about him. We're not stuck on what the Lord thinks about us. We're not thinking about what he cares about. Why? Because he's just not on our mind. We're not beholding him. We're not looking at him. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Well, maybe I am a little bit. I'm trying to get you to see that what you care about, that's going to be what you're focused on. And this world, I believe a tactic that Satan has is not to get Christians to outright reject God. I don't think that's Satan's tactics for the church. I don't. I think his tactics are iPhones or Androids. His tactics is Netflix because you can binge watch a show. I love binge watching shows, by the way. And 
His tactics are distractions. That's it. Is there anything wrong with Netflix? I don't think so. Is there anything wrong with an iPhone? No. I've had them for years. I used to call it my I covet, but anyways. Um, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from our hearts focusing on the Lord. Why? Because it's so easy to whip it out and to fill our mind with empty space. Well, I would rather not think about my own sin and how I fleshed out at that person at school and how I you know, lusted over that person and <clears throat> how I got angry at the teacher and how, oh, dang it, I said a cuss word into my parents last week and I, oh man, I'm, I'd rather look on Facebook. I'm just going to go to Facebook and peruse and I'm going to go to the news and I'm going to peruse YouTube, which that's not safe. Um, and we get easily distracted because there's other things that we can look at and focus on. That's Satan's tactic. But would we be those who would say, you know what, I want to behold the man. I want to look at Jesus. I want to look at him in the morning first thing because, hey, Psalms 1 says I'm blessed if I'm a man that seeks the Lord day and night. Morning and evening, I want to hang out with him. So I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to drink my coffee because otherwise I'm not awake and I'm going to hang out with Jesus. But Christian, I get up so early for school. You just have no idea. No, I do. It's okay. You also stay up so late at night. Let's go to bed earlier. I don't think I got to bed before midnight in all of high school. I stayed up late so much. Hanging out with friends or doing stupid, stupid things. But if I just went to bed earlier, I'd be able to wake up early. It's great. Now I'm old. I like to go to bed at like 9 o'clock. I mean, most of you guys are just going to the movies at 9 o'clock, right? Right? Yeah? Yeah. No, I want to go to bed. Nine o'clock, dude, I am toast. Oh, man, I'm dating myself. It's okay. I get so tired, but I get up early. Because early in the morning, I get to seek the Lord. That, to me, is worth it. And then all day, we need to be those who are meditating on him, who are beholding, who are focusing, who are looking back on the Lord. Looking at who he is. Looking at what he's done for each one of us. You see, Pilate says, behold the man. We need to be those who look at the Lord. But you know what? The Lord had a plan. How many of you guys like, um, like working out? Anybody like working out? A couple of you guys? Wow, girls' hands go up. That's cool. I like that. Awesome. I like working out. Well, I like the idea of working out, actually. Um, physically, actually working out is not fun for me um, because it's, it produces sweat. Um, it, it, it hurts usually the next day, right, when you really work out. Um, it's painful, but I love, I love the effects of working out, right? I mean, every guy, I'm going to speak to guys because I don't know that girls necessarily think about this. Guys want to be buff, right? I mean, every guy wants to have like 18-inch biceps and perfect pecs and a six-pack. That's just what guys want. Girls are like, yes, we want that too. But, um, sorry about that. <laughs> we all love the idea of being strong, but to actually work out, some of us are better at it than others. I, for one, am not. I don't actually want to work out. I just want to be strong. I know, it doesn't work out that way. Okay? But there is a blessing, there is a benefit 
to the stress and the strain of working out? There is. There's a benefit to all the pain you physically cause your body. Why? You do get strong. You are able to lift more. In, uh, in high school, I took, uh, I took Olympic weightlifting for like three years. Um, so I did squats more than I ever wanted to do in my entire life. I hated squats. To this day, I hate squatting. I mean, I don't like bending over to pick something up because it reminds me of squatting. But I did a million squats. And I was totally annoyed until, until it came to competition day. And all of a sudden, those squats really helped out. Why? Because I was able to lift more than I thought I could. I was able to achieve a goal I didn't think I was able to attain. I was able to advance in the sport, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, I get that difficult thing that I went through, there was a plan in it. We see that the difficult thing that Jesus went through, there was a plan for it. What, is, what was the difficult thing? Well, it was his brutal beating, the whipping, the eventual crucifixion. Do you know that as difficult as it was, the Lord was glorified in that time? Why? Because salvation was brought to the world. Did he like to see his son getting mutilated? No, he didn't. Was it fun for Jesus? Jesus was like, yeah, dude, I get to get whipped. This is so cool. No. But there was a plan. I love a verse, Psalm 29, 10. It says this, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. I look, I look at the flood as the destruction of the entire world except for eight. And God, you were enthroned? Yeah, he was. God, does that mean when difficult things come in my life that, that you're in control? Yeah, it does. Does that mean, God, that you cause difficult things in my life? Sometimes. Sometimes he does. Why? Because he's a loving father. Sometimes I let difficult things happen to my kids. Why? Because I want to teach him a lesson. My son, my son has no fear. Well, he had no fear, put it that way. And there was times where my son, he was just, I'm like, man, he's really going to hurt himself. And my wife, she's very, very protective. She's like, no, he's going to hurt himself. I'm like, I know. He needs to, though. She's like, what? I'm like, trust me, he's got to hurt himself right now. I know it's going to hurt. I know he's going to cry. He's probably going to bleed. It's really good for him because I'd rather him fall over when it's like two feet than to try it on a really dumb thing that's like 20 feet and then he would die. He's got to He's got to suffer going to be okay. Watch this. And sure enough, my son's playing around on a concrete wall and all of a sudden he tries a cartwheel and I mean, my son's crazy. <clears throat> and he falls down and he hurts himself and I'm there to comfort him. I'm there to hold him. I'm there to, to train him. I'm there to say, oh, son, you got to be careful. You're not invincible, man. Let me hold you. Your mom will comfort you better than I will. She'll hug you. That'll be great. I let him go through something difficult. Why? Because I don't want him to do something stupid later. I want him to learn in a small way before it really matters, before his life is on the line. And the Lord is the same way with us. He's going to allow us to go through difficulty. He has a plan through some of these. Does that mean that God causes everything bad? Please, no. That, the answer is no to that. We live in a fallen world. I don't want anyone to get the idea that God causes evil. He doesn't. 
Because the Lord is totally burdened when somebody gets cancer or when some, some child is molested or when somebody decides to walk into a school and kill 50 people. No, God's not glorified in those killings. God didn't cause those killings, no. Can God work in the hearts and lives of the families that are left? He can. He wants to, in fact. But God doesn't cause those things. What causes those things? A fallen world. See, we live in a fallen world. There's sin here. But just because something is difficult doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bring us through. And how do we get through those difficult things? Well, we have to look to Jesus. We have to. How did Jesus get through the scourging? He looked at the prize, as Romans says, or Hebrews. One of those in chapter 12. You can look up it later. It's us, the prize. We actually see it here in Roman, or in uh, John 19. We see Jesus looking at the plan. What is it? In verse 11, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. What does Jesus say when he's confronted with Pilate saying, hey, I can kill you or I can set you free? And the Lord's like, no, you can't. Jesus is like, no, you can't. God has a plan, and I'm submitting to that plan. So who was really on trial, Jesus or Pilate? Like I said, you're going to get a lot more into that um, with Aaron, I believe, next week. Maybe not. I have no idea when he's going to do it. But anyways, you'll get to there. But we see the culmination of what happens there with Pilate. We see Pilate's denial here at the very end. As Pilate brings Jesus out, and Pilate says, hey, here's your king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify the king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. There, there you go, that's what he says. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus, and they led him away. You see, Pilate was in the presence of Jesus. Pilate got to hear who he was. Pilate got to see his response under beating and under strain. And I believe Pilate realized who this was. In fact, I believe there was no doubt in Pilate's mind that this truly was God. That's why he was scared. It's why I believe um, he committed suicide. We read from history that shortly after this examination, um, Pilate killed himself. I believe it's because he couldn't deal with the guilt of knowing that he crucified Jesus. Knowing that he sent God to death. But what I want to see is really what motivated Pilate's response. Because I don't think any of you are in the place of Pilate where you just hate Jesus and you don't want anything to do with him. I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning, so that's really good, okay? Maybe your parents made you, and you know, you're like, no, Christian, I really don't want to be here. My parents make me. Well, that's cool. You can just listen. Actually, it's not cool. You need to repent. Anyways, um, Pilate allowed himself to be influenced by the crowds, by the masses, See, Pilate wanted to release him. Pilate had the power to release him. Pilate knew the right thing to do was to release him. But Pilate didn't. Why not? Pilate was influenced by the people he was around. <clears throat> Pilate was influenced by the crowds. And why is that so important? Because each one of you are around crowds. You're around people. 
You're around people that influence you more than you could possibly know. Your parents influence you a lot. That usually stops by about 13 or 14 years old because then you know everything, right? It's true. And I, I was in high school. I knew everything in high school. It was great. Something happened a few years later. I realized I didn't. It was a very depressing moment for me. But your parents influence you at a young age. That, that usually stops. And then most of your influence comes from your friends, from those who you're around, who you choose to hang out with, who you choose to fellowship with on Saturday nights and Friday nights after school and whatever it is that you do, whenever it is that you hang out with your friends. And really, that's who's going to influence a lot of your years. Who do you surround yourself by, and what are they influencing? Are you listening to the crowds, to the masses? Because I wish that I could go back in time to high school, because I'd be a different person. I would still surf just as much as I surfed, because that was really fun. But I'd be a different person in my heart and in my life. I'd be a different person with the students that I was around. Because though I was saved from a very young age and have loved Jesus my whole life, for those four years in high school, I wasted them. I wasted my years. I had people that I could have shared with, and I was too scared to say anything. I had people who were willing to listen, and I still kept my mouth shut. I had an opportunity to influence so many people at my campus. But because of the shame I felt at times because I'm a Christian, because I didn't want to be seen as the, the goody-two-shoes good boy, because whatever my reasonings were, I chose not to follow the Lord. Instead, I chose to allow the masses or the crowds to dictate my choices and actions. And I look back on those four years, and not to say that I never did anything, but most of them were a waste. Most of my time, spiritually speaking, I missed out. Oh, I got an education. I had some laughs. But when I get to heaven, do you know how it says that our, our actions are going to be, you know, they're going to be judged? Not judged for like, hey, are you good enough to get to heaven? But that Bema Seat judgment where our actions, whether they were motivated from selfish motivations or good motivations, they're going to be judged. They're going to be burned. And if it was selfishly motivated, it's going to be just torched, nothing left. If it was motivated out of honest, good motivations by the Spirit, it's going to be refined as a jewel, as a treasure. Those are the good things, right? I think those four years, they're all going to burn. They are. Because so much of what I did... I didn't do for the Lord. I did for me. And you know what? I think that far too many of us allow the people around us to dictate our actions. See, Pilate denied Jesus because the crowds. I think many of us as Christians deny Jesus, not saying, Lord, I don't love you. Lord, I don't want to be saved. God, I hate you. No, I think we deny Jesus by our actions and how we live with the people we're around. A great book I read, it's called Christian Atheist. And it goes over how many of us claim to be Christians, and I believe we are, yet we don't live like it. We live loving the world. We live loving other people. And really, if you put us next to a group of people in the world, there's very little difference. 
except for maybe our vocabulary, which is good. But that's probably it. And I would say that was probably the difference between me in high school and my friends who didn't know the Lord in high school because most of my friends weren't Christians. And I was just okay with that. I just didn't want to share with them. Didn't really want to affect them for the Lord. They knew I was a Christian. They knew I'd go to a Christian club occasionally on my campus. But I wasted a lot of time. Because of the people that I was around. See, Pilate, Pilate turned his back on Jesus. He let the world and the crowds affect him. And you guys are at such a crucial age. Like, I'm serious, man. You guys have such potential. And you have the ability to use that for the Lord or to completely squander it and waste it. My encouragement to you is to don't, don't look back on that in like five or ten years and go, man, I wish I had done differently. Man, I wish I had been somebody else. I wish I had loved the Lord more. Instead, I want to be like Paul. See, in 2 Timothy, Paul says, dude, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I'm ready to go receive the crown of righteousness, which is laid up for me. He's like, dude, I've finished it. I've ran to the best of my abilities at all times, and I have no regrets. That is something that's amazing. Well, how do we do that? How do we live like that on a daily basis? We don't do that by spending our time on Facebook all the time. Oh, man, Christian says I can't be on Facebook. No, that's not what I said. We don't do that by spending all of our time on Facebook or all of our time on Netflix or all of our time with our friends. We do that by allowing our minds to behold a living Savior, to behold the man Jesus. Not just in the morning with your coffee or in the evenings when you have your devotions. I don't know when it is, but all day long. That when you're with your friends, dude, he's there. When you're on your date, he's there. That's some reality check right there. When you're at the movies, he's there. When you're at home on your computer, he's there. But are you looking at him? Because he's watching you, man. He's checking out, seeing what you're doing. He's wondering where you're going to go. Are we those who look upon him? You see, Paul could say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Because he had an encounter with the living Savior where he saw the Lord. And he never looked away. He never said, okay, Lord, I'm done looking. He said, no, I want to keep looking. I want to behold the man, Jesus. And really, that's the only thing that we can do that can make us different. To daily, every day, look at Jesus. Not at the crowds. Not the people who are going to change over time. Because though it seems like high school is everything, there is a world after high school. And it's radically different. But are you going to behold the man, Jesus? The one who said, hey, I am, came to stand in your place. I took the pain and the penalty of the cross for your sins. And I have a life that's amazing for you. The team's going to come up and they're going to lead you in a song which is a little bit different because I think that if we're not going to give time to personally respond to the word of God, then what are we here for? So they're going to lead us in a song of worship and in that time, I want you to examine your heart saying, am I looking at the Lord? 
Am I beholding the Lord or am I beholding and looking to the crowd? It's an honest question. You know what I love about the Lord? Is if you have been looking at the crowd, he's not going to look at you and say, stinking loser, told you you're an idiot. No, he's not going to say that. He's going to say, I love you. Why don't you look at my face now? Why don't you look at me now because I have a heart for you? You may say, but, but I've, I've blown years. I'm a senior. Let's make senior year count. I'm a freshman. Nobody cares about me. I do. Watch what I can do if you serve me. Spend some time honestly reflecting. And then as you get together in small groups, I dare you to speak what God was speaking to your heart. I dare you. I dare you to be honest. Why? Because I think far too often we're afraid and we don't speak up because we are afraid of what other people think. Don't be afraid. I guarantee everyone else is probably thinking the same thing. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that we can look at you and behold the man. We can behold the man who was beaten for us and whipped and who loves us so unconditionally. We can see the man who gave everything for us. And Lord, we can also see, as we're going to be looking at in a few weeks, the risen Savior, the one who said, I have conquered death, that you don't have to die. Jesus, I thank you so much that you love us and that you're not waiting to strike us and tell us how horrible we are. You're waiting to love us and shower us with blessings. And you're waiting to use us if we will simply look to you. Lord, you say that you want to guide us with your eyes. But Lord, the key to that is that we have to be looking into your eyes to see what you're guiding. God, I ask that this morning we would look into your eyes. We wouldn't look into what's going on later today or, or what else could be before us tomorrow. But right now, because right now is all we have, that we would look to you. And that we would allow you to search our hearts, Jesus. We thank you so much in your son's name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord, guys.